Well, good morning, and welcome to a continuation of our series in identity theft. As we look into the book of Ephesians, and, and it's a book that's rich with information that, that God calls us to know. And this morning, I, I want to look into Ephesians chapter 2, and so if you've got your Bibles close by, I would encourage you to get them, because we're going to dig right in and take a look at, at some things in Scripture that uh, you really need to have the Bible in front of you. We're looking at what I've described this morning. Our title is Divided Identities. Because we live in a world of divide. We, we live where Arabs are against Jews and politician against politician. Em- employee against employer and spouse against spouse. A- and in this time, yeah, social distancers against those who could care less. We just wall in and wall out. We keep keep contained the people that we don't in our world we just we just keep them outside and the side we represent well that's the right side and the others they're simply wrong and if state if the stakes are high enough not not just simply wrong but they're treacherous or at the very least not to be trusted the reality of it is, is that the walls that divide us have always been with us. They've been with us for forever. And the evidence for that is, is that this is an issue that is far deeper than custom or race or viewpoint. Because at issue is our heart. And more accurately, our sin that, that elevates our needs and our demands and our rights our views, and when those become threatened, it's soon apparent that what Scripture says, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So as we look at our passage this morning, the Apostle Paul briefly is stepping out of what he's been reminding us of in the the chapters we've previously been looking at, of the amazing things that we have in Jesus. And as part of that, the great value that, that God places upon us. And, and Paul's going to get back to that, but not before reminding us of the identity and the blessings that we have now possess. They haven't always been the case. That, that's not always been the condition. Pick up the pick up the uh, scripture that we get in Ephesians chapter 2, and we're picking it up at verse 11. It's, it's some hard slogging in some ways to get at what Paul is talking about, but we'll see what we can unpack. Beginning at, at verse 11, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body 
uh, in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Packed in these, in these verses is a lot of theology. And we have teaching around salvation and about the Trinity and about the church. And there's obviously far too much to cover in the short time we have with us, but there are th- three categories that I really want to take a look at this morning that will serve as sort of hook points that where we can understand what he is saying. And the first is that Jesus is the answer to the things, the identities that divide. And Jesus is the answer to the identities that are being made completely new. And the third is that Jesus is the answer to identities that are being redesigned for what's ahead. The first point I want to look at is, is Jesus being the answer to the identities that divide. And with this in mind, Paul reminds, don't forget who you were and what life was like before Christ. And sometimes you and I need to pause, hit the pause button and take a look and remember in full color that where we are is not where we once were that as scripture says we were lost and we were directionless we had no hope and as Paul speaks he he speaks to the Jews and his reminder to them was remember how they had lived you were tied up and strangled you were trying to live by law and you always failed because you couldn't keep the law And, and the Jews failed to understand that the identity God wanted them to have and to take hold of was fundamentally not rooted in the law, but it was rooted in his promise given in the law. Another problem with the law was this, as verse 11 and 12 tell us, is that the law caused separation. There was a divide. There was a divide, as we're told, between the circumcised and the uncircumcised. Namely, those who were God's children and those who were not. On one side, there was the commonwealth of Israel, or if you like it, the Jews. And literally, on the other side, literally, the word says, and the foreskins. And God actually pictures the divide using the physical to illustrate a spiritual truth. It was the physical demonstrating God's mark of relationship associated with the most intimate part of who we are. And in some ways, I think this illustrates that there's no part that needs to be hidden from God, that God sees us in completion, that there's no part to be kept from him, no part to be hidden But in our failure to understand 
who we are in Christ, we do hide. We, we do have places where we won't let God in. But it's in these places that we do try to hide from him, that we try to keep from him, where we fall and where, where, where we are most prone to sin. So the picture we're given here in circumcision, represented by males, obviously, is that everyone has been created by God. But only those who bear evidence of being changed, of being transformed, of being made different, are those God uniquely calls his children. These, verse 12 tell us, bear undeniable evidence of God's covenant of promise. They have the mark of that. And without the evidence of a cut-in-blood transformation, circumcision, the determination was clear. Those who did not bear the mark were separated to the covenants of promise. They were a people alienated from God. We were that people, kept away. And the result of that separation, verse 12, tells us that that we were a people without hope and without God. And maybe some of you listening this morning are in that place. That that this whole talk about God, you're you're in a relationship with him, you don't understand that. And you you don't really have that understanding that I've got an identification mark that says I'm, I'm actually his. Because simply put... It is this, no covenant, no hope. The divide between the two, the circumcision and the uncircumcision, is unmistakable. Literally, you're cut off from God. And this was a case of the haves and the have-nots, physically have-nots. And in this case, the have-nots, God was saying, (laughs) the have-nots are mine. But that's not how most of the people in Ephesus saw it. As far as they were concerned, they were the ones who lived life large. They were the ones who had life together, that life made sense. Well, the Jews, they were just these self-righteous, rather peculiar, with their religious practices and their belief in one God. They were the ones out of step with the Gentile world. So on this side, you had the Gentiles who held this position, and yet the Jews' perspective was 180% different. These Gentiles weren't merely out of step. They were a people that were held in contempt. The Jews used the term uncircumcised as a term of scorn and derision. And we get a hint of that when David is going up and he sees Goliath standing there and he says this, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? In other words, he doesn't bear the mark of God's people. William Barclay observes that the Jews said that the Gentiles were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. So in this you get a picture 
that this wasn't just a, a difference between different viewpoints or different perspectives. This was more, far more than the clash of two ide- uh, ideals and two beliefs. This was hostility, so much so that if a Jew were to marry a, a, a Gentile, a, a funeral was held because they were considered to be dead. And all of this in stark contrast to what Paul has already been giving us in Ephesians 1, that as believers in Jesus, there is no Jew. There is no Gentile. Instead, a completely different people. A people who are chosen in Christ, who are adopted in Christ, who are forgiven in Christ, who have inherited in Christ, that it's all in Christ. And those who knew Jesus had it all. And even better, those Jesus knew understood that they have this relationship. And that's what we're told in verse 13, that his amazing good news is this. In Jesus, God cut a new covenant in a completely different way. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. But now... They are great words. Once without hope, once excluded. It's no longer the story. There's no external that marks me as God's child. Instead, there's another cut that identifies me as his. It's another cut that still draws blood. Only this time, the blood isn't on me. It's on him. The external marks are his. The cuts are his. The shed blood is his. The guarantee of possession is his. And no other cut is sufficient. Because it's the blood of Christ, Paul is saying, is what brings us near to God. But now, in Christ, we are brought near. And the expression, at first you can look at it, the expression, the far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, could convey that we have been brought in into the vicinity of, we are, we are close, but not in. But close is not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that you were brought near, you were coming into the presence of God himself. You, were, you and I are with him. And to get the picture, we need to go back to the Old Testament in the story of Queen Esther, who who risked her life, who came into the presence of the king and stood there waiting to see if the king would give audience, grant audience to the queen. Had he not held out his scepter, then she would have been immediately killed. And the good news Paul is telling us is this. You and I have come into the presence of a far greater king than any king that Queen Esther stood before. And we've been allowed to draw near because the scepter of invitation has been extended to you and me by the blood of Christ. Not our good works, not our performance, but the scepter of the blood of Christ. We come near, we come into God's presence because Jesus had paid the price for us to do so. But better yet, he comes in with us. He he comes into the presence of God the Father. Our entry is based on his entry. 
So the first point that Paul is getting at in, in this portion of Scripture is this, that Jesus is not only the answer to identities that divide, but secondly, he is the, he is the answer to identities that are made completely new. Prior to this, in verse 15 and 16, we are told this. There is a wall that has kept us apart. Not only are we different in belief and habit, we are, there's a wall that actually is there. And it, we're told it's a wall of separation. And more than that, it's a wall of hostility that marked friend from foe. Israel, God's chosen people, a relationship made by covenant. And standing apart from those, those are excluded from the covenant. They, they can't even get in. That's us. But then it says, but in Christ, the law of commandments was abolished that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in Christ. United, the divide is gone in Christ, something entirely different, a different people. That every wall has been torn down. There's no dividing wall of race or religion or culture or education. That's why the the church uh, is to be a church of every every race, every tribe, every tongue, and that we come together not in our differences, but we come together united in Christ. And there's no separation of the clean from the unclean, the the worthy from the unworthy. But understand, the wall that Paul speaks of is not just a metaphor of a wall. Because around the temple, areas were clearly marked off. There was the court of the priests. And apart from that, them was the Holy of Holies in which no priest could go, only the high priest once, once a year and only one day a year. And around that, there were two other courts. There was the court of Israel and the court of women. All these courts on the same level, but distinct and separated from one another. And then several steps down, surrounding the entire inner court was called the court of the Gentiles. It was a place where the Gentiles could gather a vast area and they could look up and see the temple, but they couldn't come in. They couldn't come close. And to make sure that that was the case, erected around that court was a four and a half foot wall, a a meter and a half uh, high wall. And posted on those walls that have been found in archaeology were, were signs that said this, no foreigner may enter within the barrier and enclosure around the temple. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. So the separation, clear, distinct, it was unbreakable. But here's the great news. Once the animal blood was replaced by Jesus' blood, the paradigm changed. Everything was different. The restrictions were gone. The divide was done. The hostility was over. The covenant was rewritten. At first glance, this was World War II, Times Squares, dancing, hugging, kissing. The war is over. Victory has come. No more young lives taken. No more blood spilt. Instead of separation, now just invitation, that any may come 
no matter Gentile, Jew, it made no difference. They would all come together because of the blood and putting their faith in Jesus. And what is completely new? It's because of Jesus there's peace, we're told in verse 14. There are three things. We're told that he is our peace. And in verse 15, he is, we're told the one, he is the one who makes peace. And verse 17, he is the one who preaches peace, which is to say what? Well, the first is, is that he is our peace, and that means that he's the only place that peace resides. Above all and uppermost in everything, that, that he gives us peace with God. That he is the one that says that our peace, that our sins can be forgiven, that we can become a child of God. That his peace can take the two and make them into one, not at a cosmetic level, but the peace of a new creation where the old is gone and the new has come. Ray Stedman observes this true peace is oneness, it's not the absence of conflict. It means being one. So think of this in terms of a marriage. A husband and wife can live as one. They can live without battles, without wars, but they can live in their own very different worlds, just doing their own thing. Yes, we're one, but they're not living in oneness. There's no oneness of heart. There's no oneness of spirit. There's no oneness of purpose. They are two, having the appearance of one, but oneness? Far from it. They are just two, holding on to their demands and their rights and how they're they're thinking of how things should be done. But peace in Jesus is true peace. It's the oneness with God where we place all our sin in him. Our failures are placed in him. Our guilt has been placed in Christ. And in Christ, we're told that God is satisfied. That he is our peace means that he is the peace that we can run into when our lives are threatened and when things disturb, when corona comes and we can't make sense of it. He, he is our peace. Peace, peace with God, but also peace of how we do life. So that's the first thing of having peace, that peace is Christ. And secondly, we are told that he is the one who makes peace and preaches peace. His peace is still offered to all who would come, to any who would come. Not just peace for some time to come, although that's clearly true, but peace in our present Peace when corona throws the world into chaos and when we can't make sense of where things are going. Peace, making peace when one person is at odds with another. Peace when sleep will not come, when anxieties won't go quiet. He is our peace who makes peace, the one to whom we can go that First Peter 5 tells us that Cast all our cares upon him, for he cares for us. 
that we can go to him and ask him to do what we cannot. And above all, he is the peace that makes us right with God. And as verse 18 tells us that we are being invited into a different place, not just into the presence of a king, not just into the presence of the holy God, but into the presence of a king and a holy God who we're told in verse 18 says, we now access to the Father. That he, he doesn't hold on to a position of power and, and might, though he is all that. But his relationship as we come to him is one of father, of what scripture often calls daddy. And in that access, we are given everything new, a totally new identity. We have a new invitation a new access, a new identity, a new relationship. Doors are opened wide to us. So Paul is telling us that Jesus is the answer to identities that divide. He takes the two, he brings them into one. He is the answer to identities that are made completely new, that the past is done. He only sees us into what Christ has done. And the third thing, just briefly to look at, is that Jesus is the answer to identities being redesigned for what he has ahead. You see, the church was was a picture of Jews and Gentiles together who had come together as one. But Paul is aware, very aware, that the old divisions were just waiting to reappear, to reattach themselves. So what they needed was a very clear picture of what this new living together would look like. And so he gives them three brief pictures. The first is this. Understand this newness, this new identity is that you are part of a new family. Verse 18 tells us there's only one way in. And we all came in the same way. None of us had special entry. None of us had special merit. There's no hiving off to our own special group because we think that they have a better look or a better way or a better opinion. Because what we do have are the marks of better blood. Far better blood. Blood that's redeemed. Blood that's forgiven. Blood that's made us new. Blood that has taken the two and made us one. That we are blood united. And blood that made us one has put us into a new relationship. And that is that we have become part of the household of God. We're part of a new family. Don't miss that. That, that we are a full member of God's family. There isn't those that are in and those that are out. That we're, we're all part of a new family. And the second picture Paul gives is this, is we're not just part of a new family. We're also part of a new country. We are fellow citizens with the saints. There's, there's no rental accommodation. There's no tent city living. There's no high rent, low rent. There's only one place. There's home. There, you're part of a... a New country, you're part of a new home. You're citizens of a kingdom that is God-designed that will never lose its luster, never lose its awe. You're part of a new, as a new citizen. 
And the third part he tells us that you better get a picture of, you better get it, is you're part of a new kingdom. You're part of a, a temple that's being built by God. And it's easy when we think of a temple. It's easy to think in our mind and go to a place of solemn assembly, a place of hushed tones and muted voices and everything sacred. But Scripture tells me something very different about a temple. God's temple is simply this. It's where God lives. It's where God dwells. Where he is worshipped as he is deserved. It's a place where there is celebration and joy. We're told in Psalm 19 that the heavens declare the glory of God. Night and day they pour forth speech. They pour forth praise. And that tells me that God is surrounded, and we get this elsewhere in Scripture, that God is surrounded by glory and radiance and joy and celebration and praise. This isn't a place of muted tones and hushed voices. Because this is where God is. This is a place of great celebration. And our celebration is that God has called us to be part of this place. As part of the new family, as part of the new kingdom, as part of the the new temple. And without question, they'll be part of this new temple that's far beyond me that I can understand. But for starters, I can say this with confidence. It means as believers in Jesus, those who have put our faith in him to forgive us our sins and make us new. We will dwell with him forever. Whatever happens in this corona, he is dwelling with us now. And there there is coming a time where we will dwell with him forever. And that will be characterized again, as I say, with joy and celebration and praise and luster and glory. And the amazing thing is, You and I are part of that God's plan. We are part of that temple. We are part of that family. We are part of that kingdom. His plan has been that since the beginning of time. He has designed it for his purpose. And he's placed us in the way that he knows best. Fashioned us exactly as we are. Creating us who we will be. For yes. For now, yes. But far better for eternity. Far better forever to be with him, the dwelling place of God. And what that means is no walls, no barriers, no separation now. All this in Jesus. So remember, remember who you were. Remember, remember what you were. And don't miss what you now are and what you now have been given. And so with that, Dive deeply into the identity that is ours in Jesus. Not to dive necessarily because you feel it all, but dive into the truth of it all and just let what God gives you well summing up in you that you understand the amazing things that God has given us in Christ. Because in that place, in that place, He's just stirring up the places of praise and joy and celebration because it is celebration time of a celebration that will never end because of the blood that was cut and rewritten in blood and placed on Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you have made us new.
Thank you that you have divided and broken down the wall of barriers that separated us. Thank you that the mark of your children is not on something that we do, not something that we run after, not something that we earn, but it's blood given in Jesus when we put our faith in you. Thank you for inviting us into your family. We give you the praise. Amen. Before I turn it back over to the the worship, I, I, I just need to say to some of you that may be listening, some of this may seem very strange, and I understand that. But if you want to know what it means to be part of God's family, to know what it means to be right with God, to have peace with God, I would just invite you to go to our website, uh, mapleridgealliance.ca, mralliance.ca, and take a look where you will see a video, a short video that tells you what it means that you can be made right with God, that you can know what it means, the new that we've been looking at this morning. Don't let any, any identity theft take from you the truth of who God says you are and wants you to know.